Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 108 of The Yacking Show. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives for the changing world we find ourselves in. Quick request, if you like our show, please subscribe to the channel you're watching or listening on. It helps our guests get more exposure, and that's good for them. As always, we have interesting guests. Today is no exception, and today's guest will really awaken you to some new perspectives you might not even have thought of but you need to get used to for the brave new world we're heading into. Not my job to introduce the guests. So first, let's welcome our co-host, Kathleen Beauvais from Waterloo, Canada. How are you, Kathleen? I'm doing great, Peter. The sun is shining and I'm loving it. So thanks for that intro. And um, thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have a very special guest. I'm, I'm really excited about this interview. Um, welcome to the show, Nicholas Proughton. Nicholas, how are you today? I'm doing great. And thank you guys so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. So Nicholas, for the sake of our audience, can you tell our audience a little bit about your background? And um, you are the founder of a company called Load, L-O-D-E. So perhaps you can tell our audience That's about that. Absolutely. Uh, minor correction there. I, I, I'm not the founder. Um, there's actually a group of individuals of which I was actually not a part of. I came into the project a year after and I operate as the COO of, uh, of Load Payments International. And really Load is um, at its core an initiative to restore silver and gold to the monetary system as currency, as actual money. Uh, which is a pretty ambitious and, and bold narrative, um, you know, uh, for, for older listeners of the audience can perhaps remember a time when we actually had a, the dollar, the United States dollar backed on a gold standard. And during these periods of time where uh, we've actually used gold and silver as a foundation for currency, inflation was largely much more nominal compared to what it is now. Uh, we've walked away from that. And what we've seen is that um, it, it's been a huge contributing factor to the erosion of the middle class. And so there was this sort of felt desire within our community and our core group of founders uh, to, to take modern technology, take um, a standard that is tried, true, trusted, and used all throughout the world, throughout all of human history, essentially, um, and, a, and a, marry the two together, essentially. And, and that's really what the past four years have been about. And it's been a really exciting journey, writing the highs and the lows of the, of the blockchain industry and the cryptocurrency space. Um, and I'm excited to be talking with you guys about it today. Wow. We look, as Kathleen said, we're looking forward to it. Now, many in our audience, and myself included, know a little bit about blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, but that's about it. Uh, I think for the average man in the street, it's, it's a gray area. Uh, so just enlighten our audience a little bit what we're talking about on those two, blockchain and uh, cryptocurrency. Absolutely. And it's always a great question to ask. And I really never get tired of explaining it because uh, it, at first glance, it's not simple. But essentially, what's important to, dis uh, to distinguish is there's a separation between a blockchain and a cryptocurrency. Sure. A cryptocurrency is a financial tool uh, or vehicle or asset class, choose, choose, a, choose a buzzword, um, that uses blockchain technology. Uh, blockchain technology essentially is a digital ledger that rather than relying on intermediaries, so two banks or the visa rails, for example, to transfer value, uh, they use what's called a consensus algorithm 
to act as a virtual handshake that this value is being transferred. Uh, once, uh, and this consensus is conducted by, in the case of Bitcoin, tens of thousands of computers, hence this concept of decentralization that comes up. And I can dive into that a little bit more. So it's a virtual handshake um, that basically replaces the need for intermediaries like banks uh, to play middleman and take cuts and so on and so forth. And it directly transfers that value from a player A to player B. And um, uh, once the transaction has successfully uh, been processed, it's stored in blocks of information. And these blocks are like le a Lego structure that you can't take apart. You can only stack mm -hmm. on top and move forward from it. Uh, and because of this, it is immutable. And uh, this type of technology brings a whole new level of transparency and accountability to the world of finance that um, has arguably been absent before. And it also brings a new level of security, again, because of that uh, consensus algorithm, because tens of thousands of computers are reaching this consensus. And um, in order for it to be manipulated, you would require at the very least a 51% hack which again, in the situation of something like Bitcoin is a very, very difficult thing to achieve because you have everybody from, uh, you, know, uh, you know, people like me uh, mining Bitcoin on their phones, processing transactions on their phones uh, to, to supercomputers in China processing these transactions, right? So um, that's kind of a, a very, very baseline understanding of what blockchain technology is. And cryptocurrencies are uh, currencies, uh, securities, financial assets that exist on this technology. Okay. Okay. So help me out a little bit. You use the Lego analogy, which I think is a really good one. So simplified form. If I had a Lego with six pin of those little pins on the top, you had one with four and Kathleen had one with two. And we were the only people to hold red Lego blocks with those configurations. And the only way we could do the handshake was to fit all three together and agree on all three. Is this a sort of non-digital version of what we're talking about or am i getting you um, making it even more complicated than it is <laughs> tell me if well, i have... yeah it, it, it's it's a it's a little more complicated than that the blocks have certain set sizes right so okay. you can't go down to two squares or four squares all um, right right and so it's not just your pro uh, transaction that is being processed which is why some bitcoins uh some some bitcoins excuse me some blockchains are slower and some blockchains are faster than each other because the uh amount of uh, transactions that they can process at a given time are are stored in single blocks and then moved on and then the next batch and okay. so on and so forth okay i'm with you that, that helps clear, yeah. clear as mud yeah yeah no a little <laughs> bit better than that <laughs> i know kathleen's got one she wants to ask you let's go so your company offers a payment system that's backed by gold and silver can you explain that further how does it work exactly absolutely so uh over the past four years we've done a couple things one we've created digital gold and silver assets on a blockchain that can process 156 uh thousand transactions per second i actually think it's 160,000 transactions per second uh, making it sort of as instantaneous as your your traditional Visa and Master Rails. This digital currency that we've produced, uh, we have two of them. We have a digital gold and we have a digital silver asset. And this, uh, every single one of those coins is backed by either one gram of vaulted audited and insured silver and uh, conversely, uh, one milligram of vaulted audited and insured gold. Um, so that's one side of what we've done. We've created these currencies. And the important thing to understand here is you see a $1.2 trillion market cap for the cryptocurrency sector right now. 
but that's all speculative um, demand versus practical application. One of the areas where the industry is still really, I wouldn't say struggling, but developing is in the payment solution side of things. How do you take this currency and you make it practical for mm-hmm. the world to use? Right. So what we've done uh, is we've, we've, uh, we've spent four years building our mobile wallet technology to make it easy for people to acquire this digital gold and silver, as well as spend and use this digital gold and silver practically in their day-to-day lives. Uh, and this is coming in the variety of forms. Um, you know, for example, uh, getting merchants to actually accept our currency just outright, uh, obviously is the preferred option and where we think we'll go, uh, and have the most success in potentially developing nations around the world, emerging economies in Africa, places like Venezuela, et cetera, et cetera. Um, However, in the Western world, individuals are probably pretty comfortable with their, their USD and their Canadian dollars. Um, so being able to pay at the point of sale and uh, with, your, with your digital currency and have it settle to fiat uh, and, in a, and making it feel intuitive and natural and as ubiquitous as um, traditional payments infrastructures are. So that's what our mobile wallet technology is doing. And in this year, we're launching our uh, merchant services program, which will allow people to, you know, accept in fiat and settle to our digital gold and silver and, um, you know, a whole host of the traditional sort of payment processing experiences with the added benefit of being able to uh, instantly uh, settle your business in digital gold and silver. And in addition to that, um, transacting on our blockchains and on our cryptocurrencies versus using something like MasterCard, where merchants and individuals and businesses are losing, you know, up to, you know, between three, you know, maybe 2.5 if you're lucky. Uh, But in a high risk uh, business, like something like CBD and um, uh, even blockchain companies, they can go as high as 9% with a a six month hold on your funds versus what we can do, which is give people instant settlement, right? Instant settlement at a fraction of the cost, a, a, a very small denomination of a percent. And uh, what's nice is that your, your assets are now stored in something that is inflation resistant uh, that you can instantly liquidate as you need to into, into a government-backed currency. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So can I jump in, Kathleen, uh, on that one? Um, Nicholas, the, the gold and silver currency you're talking about, digital currency you're talking about, mm-hmm. the value of those, your one milligram of gold or your gram of silver, whatever, that is always tied to the actual market of the physical gold and silver, is it? The values, should I say? Absolutely. So when I say it's backed, I mean there is real, tangible, physical, audited, okay. vaulted, insured metal behind it. So it does follow the price of, of silver and gold. Um, and um, what silver and gold have done very, very well over a long period of time is maintain their purchasing power when compared to fiat currencies. Mm-hmm. Comparatively, the U.S. dollar has lost 90% of its purchasing power over the past 100 years, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, our methodology is it's better to run your business and conduct your business in uh, assets that will not depreciate year over year and, and simply use those uh, government-backed currencies as, as vehicles to do things such as pay taxes and uh, you know, contract um, you know, employees and so on and so forth. Um, but the core of it should operate in these assets. And this even serves a greater purpose if your business is international, uh, where you can often get, you know, huge fees or hemorrhage cash in terms of FX um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, transitioning and and through cryptocurrencies and through blockchain technology, we're able to skirt a lot of that. 
So as you can see, it's a pretty ambitious and massive project. Mm -hmm. uh, and four and four years later, um, you know, we have about seven thousand five hundred uh, plus people in our community uh, in our open beta, and uh, we're active in one hundred and thirty five countries already. And really, twenty twenty one is about taking the culminative effort of the past four years and bringing it out to the world in a big way. Right. So I, I'm really sympathetic to what you're doing because I lived, you hear from my accent, I'm, I'm not a long-term Canadian. I lived in Africa for most of my life and I experienced the hyperinflation in Zimbabwe where um, we carried shoebox fulls, uh, shoeboxes full of dollar notes, uh, $50 notes, uh, which were worth peanuts in, in hard currency terms. But I, I lived through that. So I'm petrified of inflation taking off even to a fraction of that percent in, in the Western world. So, and all the payments, you're, problems you're talking about in developing countries and all the back doors that have to be opened. This, uh, to me, this is a, would be a wonderful idea. Um, yeah, I can see huge advantages. Wow. So, so we're, I, we're, yeah, sure. I, carry may on. As well, because some people might be asking, you know, okay, that's great, but we've got Bitcoin. Why, why not just use Bitcoin? Uh, and I'm not here to salt on anyone's, um, on anyone's wealth appreciation. I think that's fantastic. You know, we're living through one of the biggest wealth generation events of our lifetime with Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is a terrible payment vehicle. Uh, you know, for uh, it's it's slow, it's heavy. You know, it takes ten between ten minutes and half an hour to process a transaction. Am I going to go to a Starbucks and and have <laughs> people behind me? Uh, you know, while we wait for this transaction to process, absolutely not. It's not it's not reasonable. Uh, and in addition, in addition to that, a Bitcoin comparatively. Because yes, okay, you'll have some Bitcoin maximalists out there say, oh, the, the, it has an er inherent value because of the technology. The technology is the value. Uh, ultimately, Bitcoin is only valuable because people put their faith in it, yeah. right? Because yeah. they believe it is worth that much, uh, making it extremely prone to volatility versus something that is backed by a tangible ad asset like gold like silver. Silver is one of the biggest commodities in the world, over 10,000 use cases. So there is a floor. In, mm -hmm. in painting a nightmare scenario, there is a floor to how low silver can possibly go. So, uh, again, just just pleading my case a little bit more. No, it sounds I, like I'm no, preaching no. to the choir. I've heard I've heard that people who are owners of Bitcoin have trouble converting it. So. Yeah, and uh, and it, there's been uh, a concerted effort from central banks and from uh, the financial sector up until recently. I would argue in the past couple of years. Um, to uh, discredit this technology. I'm talking mm -hmm. about the Jamie Diamonds of the world going on yep. public television saying this is fraud, this is a scam, this is terrible. And in the same breath, his company is swooping up massive sums of Bitcoin, right? So there's this duplicity <laughs> that has taken place in the industry. And it's because um, these traditional institutions, the concept of blockchain, the concept of this technology no longer needing them as intermediaries is an yep. extremely intimidating thing. You're talking about what is an essentially a global oligopoly, a very small circle of companies that have created a system that we all have to operate within. And then, uh, you know, Bitcoin comes along and says, no, I don't want to play your game anymore. I don't want to play Monopoly anymore. I'm tired of it. Uh, and that's really upsetting, right? Because there's no finger because of Bitcoin's anonymity, there's no finger to point. There's nobody to sue. Um, and, and yet people are really buying into this and they can't stop or gate this technology because it doesn't depend on one central point of failure. Um, and so until the industry could understand how do we insert this into our business practices and how do we adapt, 
there was a considerable effort to, uh, you know, disavow Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And yes, there, there is a legitimate claim that there was um, a great deal of fraudulence in the early 2017 ICO boom, uh, you know, projects just coming out of the woodworks that had no real use cases. But, uh, and, and that's fair, right? That's why we have regulation in place today is to protect consumers and individuals from these things. Um, but it's, it's still a 180 degree turn from 2017 to where we are now, where you have Visa settling to, U, uh, to USDT or USDC, uh, you know, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, Tesla, you know, all accepting these cryptocurrencies, all the major banks have blockchain departments and they're all implementing this into this business. And really what it was is they needed to figure out how can they get their, how could they control this market? How could they get into this market and establish it within their business practices so they didn't become irrelevant? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, can they control it? Um, it's a good question. Uh, it's a good question. Can they control it? Can they control the blockchain itself? No, they can't do that. Um, uh, but um, they can control where people can buy. They can control access points to this technology. And yeah, okay, if you're a very sophisticated technologist, you can use VPNs and uh, you know, use decentralized exchanges and, and so on. But I'll tell you right now, the user experience of that is terrible. It's like running into a brick wall. It's a straight, it's a straight up learning curve um, versus being able to go on your local, uh, your local Coinbase or uh, uh, what is it? I think uh, CoinSquare, I think it's called in Canada is a popular one. Uh, and being able to just use your debit and credit card and purchase and away you go, right? So there, um, there are vehicles that they are going to use to, to gatekeep uh, access to this technology and who, and who can have exposure to it. Um, but with that being said, as soon as somebody actually has their hands on it and they have those funds in a private wallet uh, in which they control the private keys, um, that's, it's, it's out of their hands. Right. So okay. that's why that's why, you know, these regulated exchanges and all this regulation has come into place around where people can purchase and buy this stuff is that's how they control um, the market. And of course, now you have, uh, you know, in terms of the stock market, you have futures and derivatives and stuff like that that allow, um, you know, more sophisticated investors to to enjoy all the same privileges that they do uh, with traditional uh, investing apps as well. So um, I, I tend to look at things not as. Um, competitors you know i don't i never really fully believe that the banking industry is just going to collapse it's all going to go yeah. away and there's I'm, I'm not one of those people uh I th and i think that it, the the success comes through collaboration and getting that mass adoption and getting people onto a better uh, monetary system comes with collaboration with these regulators and that's largely what we've done over the past years going into so many different regions of the world is not a simple task and that's required us to, to work hand in hand with, um, with regulators across the world uh, to make sure that we're bringing our products to people in a safe and compliant fashion. Mm -hmm. Nicholas, yeah. you know, the, the central banks of the world, I can't imagine them wanting an alternative currency. They're very powerful and evil. Yeah, no, I, uh, and, and I mean, you're seeing that now, um, you're seeing that now as, as governments attempt to put their, um, their currencies onto blockchains, um, you know, central bank backed blockchains. Um, to me, that's like putting lipstick on a pig, 
right? <laughs> it doesn't solve it doesn't solve how that money actually works. It adds a couple new features, a couple new bells and whistles. So if a government says, "Oh, you know, we did not sell arms to that country." Anybody can go on that blockchain, look it up and say, well, actually, yes, you did. This is your wallet address and we can see. So it does bring certain levels of accountability to the forefront. However, um, the fact that the money is inflationary because it's only largely backed by a nation's debt, um, it still remains a truth. So it doesn't really solve the problem. It just means that you'll be able to um, settle your payments and convert into other currencies with greater ease. Um, I think these central banks um, will still play a role. Um, mm -hmm. you know, um, they, especially as it pertains to individuals um, having to do things like pay bills and taxes and so on and so forth. There is a role for central bank currencies and for these uh, institutions to exist. However, I think that role will be diminished as more and more people get easy access to a diverse way of holding their wealth that doesn't depend on these institutions. Uh, to, to play middlemen or to, um, to quote unquote, safeguard your money. But I mean, even here in Canada, we have um, a bail-in, we have a bail-in policies for banks, right? So yeah. creditors can get dinged uh, in the, in the situation of a crisis, which is a pretty terrifying uh, sort of thing conceptually. Mm -hmm. Me as an individual, as a millennial, where we're so often touted in the news as getting, you know, one of the, one of the, we, we kind of got a rough hand and we kind of just got to cope with it is the argument that a lot of uh, news publications will put out there, right? And so the idea that even if I, I do my absolute best and I do everything right, that a central bank can just take away my money, that, and, and banks have failed within our lifetimes. They've had oh, bailouts yeah. within our lifetimes. So, you know, that's a very real possibility. And why would I, as an individual, want to put my money at risk with that, with, with an institution that is failing? So there's a lot of... Um, um, reasons why people will probably start migrating away from these central banks over time. Do I think, uh, do I think Gen X, you know, um, boomers are going to, um, are, are largely going to move over? No, I think they'll probably treat it as a speculative vehicle. I, largely, I think they'll, they'll enjoy the wealth appreciation and the speculative side of the market. And that's great. That's adoption too. But I think you're really going to start seeing, um, the adoption from a practical standpoint, as we move into younger generations, you know, um, younger millennials and uh, Gen Z's and Gen Alphas, those are going to be the people that really carry the practical application of blockchain into the into the next uh, hundred years or so. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to jump in if you don't mind, Peter. I just have carry on. That's uh, burning. <laughs> so, so, so Nicholas, to me, gold and silver are something tangible. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I can hold it in my hand and know that I, I am carrying an asset, some currency, whereas cryptocurrency is a digit or a bunch of digits on, on a computer screen. How do I, how, how do people have the same faith in a cryptocurrency as they do in the tangible asset? I mean, it's a great question. And there is a, a school of logic out there that says, if you can't physically hold it, you don't own it. However, I would argue that we're already largely comfortable, um, the vast majority of, with us in developed nations with a digital currency. You probably have a banking app on your phone. You probably have, you know, check your, you do e-banking versus um, physically holding cash, especially throughout the course of this pandemic, right? So there is already a certain level of comfort that we have around digital currencies as a concept. Um, but we like to at load, we understand the, the initial logic I was just talking about that if you can't physically hold it, you don't own it, which is why 
we have a redemption policy for these physical assets because we want to give people the confidence that they can withdraw this if they would prefer it. Now, we do have uh, limitations on that right now. Uh, I think the minimum is 100 ounces, which is, yes, kind of high. But the concept here in the planning is, is that as the, uh, as the company grows, as the operation becomes bigger and bigger, we grow into the tens of thousands, a hundred thousands and millions, we'll be able to offer smaller and smaller denominations. So in as much that people could go in and grab, you know, a one ounce uh, coin of, of gold or silver to see their, to suit their needs. Um, and we try to provide trust and uh, transparency through, um, you know, vaulting reports, audits, and uh, giving users more insight into the circulating supplies and what's going on there. So, um, yeah, there is an element that does require a leap of faith, but I would argue if you're at least a, a baseline investor, uh, you, you know, using a um, using a, an online brokerage to conduct your trades, you already have a certain amount of faith that they're quote unquote good for the money. Right. Aha. Uh -huh. So, so I've got one, I, I've got a, with my experience in Africa, I have a very suspicious mind and I'm in, <laughs> I'm in favor of digital currency. And as a boomer, I, I would certainly use them as long as the government can't get hold of it. So my, my fear is twofold is we see China this week announcing they're coming up with their own digital currency. Mm -hmm. And is, is that a move to do away with physical currency notes or bank deposits so that they can control their population even more than they're already controlling them. And I have this concern about deposits at banks in, in the Western world in that with all the strange um, attacks on human rights and independence that we're seeing under the guise of the pandemic, they could very easily start uh, taking control of our bank deposits, whether they're conventional or digital, if they have access to the digital. So that, sorry, it's a long-winded prelude to a question, but um, under your system where it's backed by silver and gold, is that silver and gold safe from exploitation or confiscation by the government? Absolutely. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, and just like uh, blockchains themselves are decentralized, um, you know, we have chosen to take a distributed process with our vaulting. So we have vaults um, scattered throughout the entire world versus in one central location. And this is one risk mitigation. So no one central agency can say, oh, we would like to claw back all your precious metals, please. Well, it's like, well, we don't actually have those in the country and the corporate entity that um, that we're dealing with may not be the, the rightful owner of that gold and silver, right? It may not perform that function within the greater uh, corporate, um, uh, and I'm looking for the right here, word here, within the, within the corporate tree, so to speak. Okay. Um, so that level provides us some level of protection there. Um, the, the other thing is, again, that um, they can't control the currencies themselves they can they can create a, a their a chinese back government backed currency and put it out into circulation um just like um usdc or usdt um and that's fine they can control that all they want but if they're allowing people to swap out to bitcoin on privately held wallets in which they have the private the individual has the private keys there is virtually no way for a government to take that back Mm -hmm. it's, okay. it's out of their hands entirely so long as they're on a public blockchain so right. if if the chinese government were to say we're doing a chinese one and nobody can buy bitcoin nobody can have access to these technologies whatsoever um then then yeah i would say it's a it's an attempt to take their liberties what i see of it more as a play is china trying to take dominance as a sense of uh progressiveness with technology 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as the USD is largely considered the world's reserve currency. Correct. Um, and, and I think there is a concerted effort to uh, unseat the United States from mm-hmm. that. Um, oh, yeah. and, and that is the bigger play at, at work I see being right now. Um, unfortunately, the United States has been a laggard in the innovation sector and in the technology sector for the past four years. I mean, if you've ever watched uh, regulators try to have conversations with uh, Facebook or Google, they have absolutely no idea what they What's are talking going on. about. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, because of that, 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 I don't know if it's will for ignorance or, or what it is, um, but because of that, um, you know, as we make this transition to new technology, uh, as the financial sector starts transitioning uh, its currencies over to blockchain uh, and its sector over to blockchain, um, you, the, China has the opportunity to establish itself as a, as a new reserve currency. So uh, a long-winded response to, to no, that's your, a good your one. question there. But. I've, I've got a little one to add on to that, but I think the word might better be arrogance than ignorance or maybe a combination of the two when you're talking about regulators. A little of column A, a little of column B, sorry to any regulators yeah. out there, I do love you. <laughs> anyway, uh, what I was going to say, when we do our tax returns here in Canada, we have to declare if we own assets exceeding $100,000 offshore overseas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So... If I put my money in one of your load gold and silver funds, is that considered a Canadian asset or an offshore asset? That's a great question. And I would argue that it really does change depending on the region of the world that you're in, um, how they, how regulators will view that asset. So the best thing you can do is, is talk to a tax expert that is experienced okay. in the cryptocurrency industry. My personal interpretation is that um, again, if, if they, if you just purchase an asset and it's on a, public blockchain and you're keeping it in a private wallet that, you know, I can't edit, manipulate, take away from you, et cetera, et cetera. I would argue that's a Canadian asset because you live in Canada, you own that asset. Um, so that would be, that would be my justification, but there are certainly okay. are, could be cases made that, um, that this is arguably offshore. Right. Um, I, that, that's why I asked the question. Yeah. No, unfortunately regulation around, uh, and taxation around cryptocurrencies, again, because it's not a, uh, something that central governments really have a strong handle around uh, accountability around that is uh, very difficult for them. And, um, and the tax regulations around them are even more ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, so for lots of investors, it can, it can be uh, a little confusing for them, which is why, again, highly recommend you speak to a tax expert in your, in your local area, wherever you're listening. Because there could be serious implications for capital gains as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Kathleen, back to you. Sorry, I'm monopolizing Nicholas here. You go for it. That's all right. <laughs> Nicholas, can you explain what the load project is? Yeah, so so uh, load, the load project, again, is sort of the culmination of all the efforts that have taken place over okay. the past four years. It's um, uh, an initiative to restore silver and gold to the monetary system. Mm-hmm. We launched this project with uh, what was called the load token. And the load token is a, a bond um, that you could have only purchased using gold or silver. Um, wow. Right. And so this was how we chose to accumulate our precious metals rather than taking traditional capital in and then swapping it out for uh, precious metals. Wow. We said, okay. you know, if you put your idle silver to work, you know, put your idle gold to work. It's sitting there in the sock door collecting dust and you're going to go to a bullion dealer and you're going to, you know, hemorrhage cash on both sides because they're going to take percentage points. Um, why don't you put it, in, why don't you, you pay for this bond with us. We'll give you this bond that pays a dividend in gold and silver. And um, 
we'll take the, the physical asset and we'll turn it into this currency and put it into circulation. And we'll reserve a segment of that for operational costs because reality is it takes money to run a business. Mm -hmm. um, sure. and, that, and that was our flagship product. Mm -hmm. And so um, that is how the load project really came into conception into the cryptocurrency space. And um, uh, yeah, load is a little bit different from most traditional sort of corporate entities or uh, conglomerates that you might see out there. Um, we are not one monolith, um, even within the companies that we work within. The whole project is uh, serviced by a series of service providers. So contractors and businesses that are interested in fulfilling this mandate that we have of restoring silver and gold to the monetary system. So the entire hierarchy is a little more flat versus top down because you may have multiple executives working, um, you know, working to achieve a, a common goal that all share a same rank and title um, across, you know, three or four different businesses versus, you know, here is the top of the rung and here are the, you know, the middle management and here are the worker bees. Right. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a little unconventional and as I said, uh, ambitious, but the model I think was really well suited to the pandemic that we've been going through mm -hmm. since uh, we were already very distributed across the world. Uh, you know, we have a, a individuals everywhere from from Switzerland all the way through to uh, where where I live, um, you know, and we have employees everywhere, Canada, United States, France, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, because we were already distributed when the pandemic hit, there wasn't much to adapt to because our lives right. were already operating in this sense. Oh, so gosh. it kind of gave us a little bit of a leg up. Sure. Quick one. Uh, what What's your unit of currency? Called? What do you call it? So if I want to invest in, in one of the gold or silver funds, what, what am I buying? Yeah, absolutely. So the AGX coin and the AUX coin. So AG okay. being silver, silver AUX, yeah. and AU being gold, right? So, okay, coin. Um, so, and the X stands for simply exchange. So, you know, uh, silver exchange, gold exchange, right? Great. Uh, and then you can easily access them by heading over to loadpay.com and downloading our mobile wallet. Within seconds, you can start making your first purchases. If you're interested, if you're a silver or gold bug and you, uh, you like this concept of perhaps not having to pay the, the vaulting fees or, or you know, uh, put the burden on your partner of having a massive vault in your house somewhere or burying <laughs> it in your backyard, even if it's just for something as domestic as that, um, it's really, really easy to get started today um, using our mobile wallet, which you can find on your app stores under load pay uh, mobile. Um, load pay mobile. Yeah. Additionally, though, we are among the first in the world to list a silverback cryptocurrency on a public exchange. And we'll be doing that in the next quarter here on the Hotbit exchange, uh, which we're very, very excited about as well. So there are other competitors in the gold market uh, for cryptocurrencies and even in silver too. But gold uh, has really taken the limelight in terms of precious metals and, and, and stable coins. Mm -hmm. um, we feel there is a really strong felt need for, for silver that hasn't really been addressed within there. And, and I think we are arguably the first to bat to do this the right way um, in the world, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, very good. Fascinating. Yeah. We're getting towards the end of our time. So let's go back to Kathleen. Um, so... Is the load project aimed at big investors or can, so it, anybody can invest in load. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, this is largely a grassroots for the people, by the people 
uh, project. Of course, we're gonna we're gonna work uh, with with uh, institutional money and big money as well. We want this to be successful. We are taking on the biggest players in the industries. I like to frame it as we're building the PayPal of gold and silver, which means we're going up neck and neck against PayPal, Visa, Venmo, Revolut, and all those big dogs out there. So of course, we're going to accept institutional money, but at its core and at its heart, we've made structured the system so everybody can get in on it. And I apologize. Um, everybody has the opportunity to participate. This is for the people and by the people. Excellent. Well, we're almost out of time. Uh, do you have another question, Peter? No, it was just the, the good one. We've got to ask Nicholas which of the links he's been talking about is the best one for people to find out more or to contact you. Yeah, absolutely. So I would argue that if you're, if you're like, you know what, Nick, I've listened to you talk for 45 minutes and I'm tired of this, uh, just send me to the website, loadpay.com, L-O-D-E-Pay.com is going to be com? your .com is going to be your best website. Uh, if you're really interested in diving into everything that the load project is about, if you're more of a sophisticated investor, show me the white paper, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to want to head over to load, L-O-D-E dot one, uh, O-N-E. And this okay. is really where you can, you can learn all that important investment information before you go ahead and, and dive headfirst into it. On both those platforms, you can get an account started uh, within uh, in a couple seconds. Excellent. Uh, and um, if you're looking to have a conversation with us, if you want to just ask some questions, our Telegram channel, which you can find on either website, is uh, arguably one of the best ways to to jump right into our uh, pool of really ambitious people about this project and who will be happy to educate you and, and bring you up to speed on things. Uh, if you feel like uh, arguing opinions with me, you can find me on Twitter at Nicholas Proughton. Uh, just, just the name, keeping it simple. And I then... I, we do actually produce our own media uh, shows where I play news anchor um, and I have the opportunity to interview uh, lots of really interesting personalities throughout the financial sector. And you can find us on YouTube and most social media with load pay media. Load pay media. Excellent. Well, that gives our, our audience a lot of opportunity to find out more. And I'll certainly be looking at those as well to find out more for myself. Yeah. Thank you very much, Nicholas. That's great. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute delight, Nicholas. Thank you. And hopefully you uh, come back and visit us sometime. And thank you all so very much for tuning in. And once again, we love reading your comments. So do please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And on that, until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.